Well, good morning, Arbor. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That felt great. Um, hey, if you want to go ahead and get a jump start, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7 in your Bibles if you brought one. In the meantime, I'm going to jump right into it today. We're uh, obviously in a series we're calling Sermon on the Mount. Uh, about three weeks ago, uh, Garrett kicked us off. He talked about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are kind of the, 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 the introduction to the greatest sermon of all sermons in the history of sermons given by Jesus. I don't think that these were all given in one shot and someone recorded it. I think they were given throughout different times and then they compilated them together but we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And Garrett did a great job. And then two weeks ago, we had Scott, a friend of mine, Scott Hetherington, stepped up, talked about worry, and integrated his story, which I thought was amazing. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd suggest you do that. It's a really great talk on worry. And then last week, we celebrated our, uh, our birthday, which was awesome. We kind of took a break from Sermon on the Mount. We celebrated one year old. Now we're into our terrible twos. And uh, I'm not sure what that means, but we're going there. And, uh, and so today we're going to jump back in. It's actually my first shot after having a kid to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and out of all topics, I get to talk about judging other people. So judging. There's a portion inside of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus jumps into judging and how we are to judge other people or how we're not to judge other people. In fact, um, some of you might be thinking, well, Jake, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever. This is going to be great because uh, we know it's super clear. Scripture's clear. We shouldn't judge, right? We have been taught. We know that I shouldn't judge you and you shouldn't judge me. And so this should be super short and we can leave early. Um, and so that's what we know. That's what we've been taught. Unfortunately, here what I'm telling you right now is that statement that we shouldn't judge isn't completely true. It is not completely true. And some of you are like, well, wait, 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 hold on, Jake. I know like three verses in the Bible. I know John 3, 16, Jesus wept, and thou shalt not judge, right? I mean, isn't that in the Bible? Yes, it is. And in fact, wasn't Jesus the one who said, thou shalt not judge? Yes, he was. And so, Jake, you're telling us that this isn't completely true. Something Jesus said isn't completely true. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, and so before you get up and walk away and leave or I get struck by lightning, please allow me to unpack a little bit of what I'm talking about because this topic, this topic on judging, judging others is a very difficult topic, especially given in light of the culture that we live in, the culture that completely embraces tolerance. We truly do. We embrace tolerance. What works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. I won't judge you. You don't judge me. That is the culture. This message that we're about ready to talk about is so countercultural that I want to take a second on the front end and pray for our hearts as we go through this because it's a very tough topic, but a very important topic to, to, to discuss. So let me pray and then we'll jump into this. Jesus, I, I really do, as I've wrestled with this throughout the week, I desire your Holy Spirit to rest in this room. Uh, bring clarity over this, this, um, this topic of judging others, the sensitivity. I know there are people in this audience who have felt judged, and there are other people in the audience, probably even the same people who have judged. And so this is such a difficult topic to manage, so I pray that you would navigate it this morning. Use my words, allow us to hear your original message in the original context in which you said it. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Well, there are two sides to judging, 
right? Just as there are two sides to a gavel. A gavel, obviously, is, a, is an instrument of a judge. I'm not sure what its actual use for is except to make a loud sound on there and sentence people to death or let them off the hook or whatever it is. But once this sucker goes down, it's done. It's over. Judgment has been given. And there are two sides to it. There is the handle and then there is the head. The handle is what we love, all right? We love to judge. We truly do. We have a natural disposition as humans. We have a natural desire to judge, to hold this handle and to cast judgment. If you don't believe me, then you're obviously not watching enough TV because it's all over the place. We have judges all over the place when you look at TV. We've got Judge Wapner, the very beginning, People's Court, he started it all. He's the pioneer of judges, followed along by Judge Judy, brought things a little bit more colorful. Just so that you know, she's still going strong after 20 seasons. That lady does not give up. Uh, We got Judge Dredd, he is a comic hero with the power to arrest, convict, sentence, and execute criminals with one blow. Not that popular, that's why. We got the Olympic judges, right? We just started the Olympics. They get to tell you who gets gold, who gets silver, who gets bronze. They are in control, especially in the figure skating world. Uh, Survivor is one of my favorite shows on TV. I've been a faithful follower for years of Survivor. Still watch it, would love to be on there. Um, And uh, they, I love it, you get voted off and then you who were just in the game are now the judge and you cast judgment on those who just casted you off. It's amazing. Uh, We got NFL judges, we call them referees. Uh, Gotta be the most thankless job in the world. Because this is why we yell at our TV, is it not? It's why we lost the Super Bowl against the Steelers, but I'm not holding any grudges, but there we are. (laughs) Then we got our plethora of panels, and we got a lot of panels of judges. We got the America's Got Talent judges. Um, If you want a talent competition, we've got, if you're into food, there's Top Chef. Uh, If you want to judge fashion, we've got Project Runway. If you're into dancing, there's Dancing with the Star judges. There is the So You Think You Can Dance, which was one of my wife's and I's favorites. Then there's the voice competitions, the big ones of all. There's the voice, where they sit in those chairs and they turn around and they cast judgment upon you. And of course, the one that started it all, those two old guys from the Muppets. That's it, right there. (laughs) The original judges that came before. But we can't talk about judges without talking about American Idol. We just can't. Uh, Because there's a new one, apparently, uh, that you're coming out this season. They're bringing it back. American Idol is coming back. But I'm talking about the old, the originator. I'm talking about Paula and Simon and the dog, you know, back in those days. And this show, whether you watch it or not or you liked it or not, changed the face of television. And you're trying to think, why did it change the face of television? And the reason it did, because there was a lot of other judging shows out there, right? There was a bunch of different shows that had judges and whatnot. But why did this one jump into 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 the clouds? Why did this one take off so well? I think it's because for the first time in history, we got to hold the hammer. We got to text in ourselves real time and judge. And we love to judge We love to judge. It is inside of us. If we could hold any part of this, we want this part. But at the same time, we hate to come under the hammer, under the head of the hammer. We hate to be judged. 
We have all felt the weight, the frustration, and sometimes the injustice of being judged incorrectly or being judged even correctly. We just don't like it at all when someone points a finger at us and say, you don't measure up or you're doing this wrong. No matter how they say it, we don't like it. It's difficult. Um, When I was in kindergarten or first grade, I don't know which one, they had a talent show. And the fact that I'm telling this story tells you I was scarred from this situation, right? That I remember it to this day, like 40 years, almost 40 years later, I remember they had this talent show and the parents were going to come in and you had to choose a talent and we were all talking about what we're going to do. And there was this guy, and I don't remember his name, but this little kid who was great at breakdancing, he knew like eight moves, right? Eight moves, breakdancing moves. This other guy knew like five and I knew like two and that was it. And I'm like, I am a talented breakdancer. I am going to be on the breakdancing for the talent competition, the talent show. And so they let me in and we were practicing. We were doing their thing. They're doing awesome. I'm doing my two moves over and over and over again, right? And we finally get to the show. It's the day of the show. And the guy who is so good, the, the, the guy who can do eight full moves, it was amazing. He comes up to me and just straight faces like, you're not good enough, you're out. And then he turned and he walked away. And that was the day of the competition. And so as a five or six-year-old, my instinct was to punch him, right? That was it. And I didn't punch him, thank goodness. I just burst into tears because I didn't know what else to do. And so I got a teacher involved to get real justice going on. And I let them know that they just kicked me out and I can't be kicked out. And they put me back in on a team that didn't want me, right? And I did the dance competition, the break dance competition that time. But I have never forgot that kid literally almost four I don't even know who he is but I hate him right and he came up and he told me you're not good enough I'm judging you and he took off and that was it and it scarred me and we all hate to be judged we love to hold the hammer right to hold the handle but we hate to come under the head and so that's this crazy thing what do we do with all that Because it's confusing. There's two sides to it. We love this and we hate that. And so what do we do? What are we supposed to do? And so oftentimes when it comes to coming to church, we want to look at Jesus's example. And we'll do that today, but I'm going to tell you this. If you just look at what Jesus did, it's kind of confusing. And truly, it's actually not that helpful because on one hand, he judges some people in one way and then he doesn't judge people in the other way. So same people. So you've got the, uh, you've got the uh, religious Pharisees, the Sadducees as such. They're living in sin, right? People don't know about it, but they're living in sin. And so Jesus calls them to the carpet. He judges them publicly. He comes up to them. He says, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you fools, you blind guides. That's what he calls them. That's what he says to them. And they were judged publicly. And then... He goes over to Matthew, a tax collector, maybe even in the same day. And he says to the tax collector, to Matthew, brother, and he puts his arm around him, come and join me. Why don't I know, and he's a known sinner, he's a tax collector. Why don't you just come and be part of my inner circle, be part of my disciples? In fact, why don't you write an entire book of the Bible? And I'll eat dinner at your place today. And brings him in as his buddy. So at first glance, If you look at Jesus' behavior, what he actually did, it seems confusing. It doesn't seem consistent. It feels like Jesus has a double standard. And so let's look at what Jesus said rather than what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of it. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 1. Here's what Jesus himself said. He said, Do 
not judge. And some of you are like, aha, I told you it was in there. It's in the Bible. Thou shall not judge. You shall not size me up. You shall not write me off. You cannot confront me. You can't criticize me. You can't compare me to anybody else, period. Except, catch this, there's not a period at the end of that sentence. It's a comma. And a comma means that your thought isn't finished, right? That the thought is still going on. So what was Jesus really saying? Because when this verse is used almost all the time I've ever heard it, it is spoken with a period and taken out of context. People say, do not judge, period. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the exact words, but nobody reads on. So let's read on. It says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so basically what Jesus is saying right here is he's applying the golden rule to judging. You judge others as you would have them judge unto you. And he goes on to verse three. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And we like this part. We love this part because it proves what we were thinking all along, that there is something wrong with that guy. There there is something wrong with her. I was right. They have sawdust in their eye. And he says, why do you pay attention to that, but then pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank, a two by four, a log, a redwood, right? In your own eye. And then watch what Jesus does here. He says, you hypocrite, kind of judgmental, right? You hypocrite, first, and that word first means or implies that there's going to be a list or at least there's going to be a number two. So he says, first, take the plank out of your own eye then you will see clearly. What Jesus points out is what we tend to forget, and that is that we have issues too. Oftentimes when we point the finger and we judge other people, really, truly, we have to remember Jesus is saying, don't forget that judgment doesn't start right there, it starts right here. In your heart, with you, as an individual, it's gotta start there. This is the starting place. You must remove the plank from your eye. Great quote that a a great pastor named Andy Stanley said. He said, when I am tempted to pass judgment on thee, I should stop and examine traces in me. I love that phrase. When I am tempted to pass judgment on thee, I should stop and examine traces in me. And so that's what Jesus said is the first step, right? Because it was a, a list of things. The first thing we're supposed to do is to stop and examine ourselves. And then the second thing we're supposed to do is where Jesus clarifies what he means. He reveals his whole point, his whole end purpose. He says, after you take the plank out of your eye, and again, emphasize, after you take the plank out of your own eye, we are to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Catch this. So important. Jesus is not saying that we should not judge, that we should zip our lip, and that we should forsake all the convictions that we have. This is not a warning against judging in its entirety. It is a warning against judging improperly. And there's a huge difference there. It is a warning against judging improperly because Jesus in this passage assumes that we are going to be judging. 
In fact, he gives us instructions on how to do it well. And apparently, there is a right way to judge and there is a wrong way to judge. And all of us have seen what happened when judging goes wrong. Miss Universe 2015 is Columbia! Okay, folks, uh, I have to apologize. The first runner-up is Columbia. Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines. Listen, folks, let me just take control of this. This is exactly what's on the card. I will take responsibility for this. Still a great night. Please don't hold it against the ladies. Please don't. We feel so badly, but it's still a great night. Thank you all. Oh, my favorite line. It is still a great night. Still a great night. It was a great night, was it not? I'm not kidding. I don't know. My wife and I just happened to be, we don't watch Miss America, Miss Universe very often. We happened to be watching that live time that night. We watched everything recorded. For some reason, we turned on the TV. That was on. We were actually watching it live time, and we're like, this is great TV. This is amazing. <laughs> Jesus is saying this. He's saying, don't pull a Steve Harvey, all right? He's saying, be careful not to pull a Steve Harvey. And this is our problem. And I'm talking, this is our problem as the church. We don't do this well. We do not. We do not judge well. What are we famous for? Think about it. We are famous. We have a reputation for judging. Jesus said they will know us by our love. But what does people outside the church know us for? They know us for being judgmental those judgmental Christians. And so this truly is a real problem. And we've got to figure this thing out. We truly do got to figure this thing out. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through and I want to talk about the why we judge. And then I want to talk about the how we judge, or sorry, the, the who we judge, and then the how we judge. So the why, the who, and the how. And so let's start with the why. And this will be in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. Give you a little background. Uh, if you've not known this, Paul is the guy who's writing this. Paul was a guy who used to um, not only hate Christians, but to murder and to kill Christians. And then all of a sudden, he has this crazy conversion on the, the road to Damascus, and he becomes a Christian. And he starts planting churches and starting new churches. And he started one in this town called Corinth, this village called Corinth. And this village, this area was known for its immorality, its corruptness. You know, it's like Vegas. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, basically. And then this, Paul's going out and he's planting more churches. And then he gets some news that something's going on inside of the church that he planted, some immoral behavior. And so he writes this letter, and in this letter called 1 Corinthians, he gives some instructions on what to do with the people involved in this situation. It's a, and, and here's what he says. Paul writes, verse one, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. 
something even pagans don't do, which is crazy. If you don't know what a pagan is, a pagan is anybody that's outside of the church that's not a Christian. And he's saying, Paul is saying, that even the non-Christians are looking in and going, what the heck are you guys doing? You're like blazing a new trail when it comes to sin. I mean, we don't even do that. That's pretty bad. We don't do that. And you guys are going for it? Okay. Paul's saying it's bad. And so now you want to know what it is, don't you? So here it is. Paul says, I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Now here's where it's, that's already bad enough, right? So he's either sleeping with his stepmother or here's where it gets worse. Um, some translations interpret that to be mother. And so we don't know whether this guy is sleeping with his stepmother or his mother. Either way, it's not good, okay? It's not good. And so what you need to know, and I probably didn't clarify this enough in the first service, is that what's happening here is this guy is adopting a lifestyle, a behavior. He knows what's wrong, right? He understands what's wrong, but he's making a conscious choice to continue in that way time and time and time again. He knows what Jesus says. He knows the way that the church, what they've lined up for. And so they've tried probably saying, hey, you got to stop that not going on. We can't have this. This is not what Jesus wants, but he's not listening. Therefore, this is what Paul says. Verse two, and you're so proud of yourselves. In other words, the church thinks this is funny. It's cool. It's cute. They look great together. But Paul, all right, but, but Paul says, you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And here it is, this is tough. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Paul's saying two things should have happened here. And they didn't happen. One is you should be brokenhearted. And two, you should, you should kick this guy out. You should send him out of the church. Doesn't that sound a little judgmental? Feel a little judgmental? Yeah, it kind of does. Paul goes on, verse three. He says, even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed, okay, there we go, judgment. Passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul. Paul, 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 Paul. You should know that Christians don't judge. I mean, he should know that, right? And Paul's like, I'm one of the first Christians, and I judge. And then Paul gives instructions on how and what's supposed to happen. Verse four, he says, you must call a meeting of the church, and I will be present, or, and I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then, and then you thought it was bad before, prepare yourself, you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Now, what's crazy about the, some of you are laughing, like, that's funny. I didn't know that was funny. So that's actually legal terminology in the Greek. What it's saying there is like legally, the church is, uh, Paul's saying, you know, we're going to legally send Frank over to Satan. Satan, we're signing Frank over to you, so you have Frank, you take care of him. It's like a legal verbiage that's used there. And so this is like way, 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 way judgmental right here. Now, what's crazy and so interesting to me as a pastor about this is that this guy who's writing this judgmental statement right here is the same guy who wrote the love chapter in the Bible. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard the phrase, you know, love is patient, love is kind. They say that almost at every single wedding, don't they? Right? They go through the love chapter. And Paul is famous for that. 
Paul, not only is this the same author, it's in the same book of the Bible, right? It's only a few chapters later that the love chapter comes into play. And Paul uses a three-letter word here called henna, and it's often used about talking about what came before and used to explain why he said something. And so here's what Paul says in the next verse. He says, hand this man over to Satan so that, and the word so that is that three-letter word henna, henna, for the purpose of or the result of or in order that his sinful nature, this is important, will be destroyed. And he himself will be saved. On the day the Lord returns. The reason that Paul is saying is that you put this guy out is because he cares about him. And the reason he says hand him over is because he's so valuable to the kingdom. The reason that Paul is casting judgment upon this guy is because Paul loves him and because Jesus loves him. And what Paul knows is that there are consequences for our sin. Oftentimes, it is these consequences. When sin has given birth and it is full grown, it has consequences. And Paul says, throw him out. Let him experience the pain of sin, the pain of those repercussions. And when he gets the fullness and feels the weight of that, then hopefully the man will fall on his knees, repent, and come back. And when he does, we will welcome him in and say, welcome back, son. Welcome back, sister. We're glad that you are home. And so it's so important here that Paul's motive is not to punish him. Paul's motive here is restoration. Not punishment, restoration. And here's the truth. The one thing that I want you to hear more than anything that I'm gonna say today And that is this, sometimes the loving thing to, sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. Sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. When I was at Overlake as a pastor, as a student ministry pastor, I had a team of people that were underneath me, a handful of other pastors and and, and other employees that were there, and I got to lead this team. And there was a point in time when I was doing this as my first go at it, uh, that apparently I wasn't doing it super well, and that my team behind my back got together, and they had a meeting and then brought me into that meeting to want to help correct or judge my leadership ability and how I was caring for them. Now, I wasn't doing anything sinful crazy like that. I was just, I was getting angry too quick. I was short-tempered. I wasn't listening very well. I was probably micromanaging, all of those things. And my team got me together in a loving fashion, as loving as they possibly could. Allison was one of these people, and I still love her. Um, And they got me down. They sat me down at a meeting, and then they told me all of these things. They told me, their boss, the one who could fire them. They judged me in that moment. And they didn't do it to push me down. They did it to lift me up. It was the motive that they had behind it. I can tell you this, even at the time, it didn't feel good. In that moment, I was pissed, real pissed. Not pissed at Allison anymore, but I was at the time, right? So upset, but I had the wisdom not to say anything at that time, maybe it was not wisdom, I just was in shock, I don't know. And, um, and so I didn't say anything. I just actually, like I did, seems to be a pattern in my life, I just burst into tears, right? <laughs> I burst into tears with my team there. It's not the way that you should, you know, I kind of won the argument that way because they stopped talking, you know, and stopped judging me at that point. Like, oh, he's had enough, he's had enough, you know? So, you know, my wife does that all the time. I never win an argument at home, never. 
So what I'm saying is this, is they came in in a loving fashion with my best intentions in mind, with our ministry's best intentions in mind, and I changed the way moving forward that day. It took me some time on how I interacted with people on our team. I tried my best, how I interact with people, period. I try hard to be caring and to be kind, and I don't always succeed at that, but I'm trying to be thoughtful and, and not micromanage my team and give them the freedom to do what they need to do and to do what God has equipped them to do. And it was because of their courage in that. And so I think the key is intention. It is motive. It's not to punish, it is to restore. And if our idea in judging someone else, oftentimes when we do it, it is to lift us up, to make us feel better about ourselves or us to feel more important than others, when in reality, the goal is to lift them up, the person that you're judging, you're caring about them. So that's why we judge. Let's talk about who we judge, because this is actually more important than you would think. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says this. Paul's talking again, and he said, when I wrote you before. Now, if you're really paying attention, you'll notice that this is 1 Corinthians. So it's the first book in Corinthians. But what theologians believe, and what I believe, is that there was more than two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians. There was probably four letters that were written. So there was a letter written before 1 Corinthians by Paul to the Corinthian church, and he's referencing that now. He says, I told you not to associate or to hang out with or to keep close company with people who indulge in sexual sin. But, and now here's the, here's the whole big plot twist right here. I wasn't talking about unbelievers. Those people who don't know Jesus, who indulge in sexual sin, or those who are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. And then I love this because Paul tries to throw in some Bible humor right here. Um, he tries to be funny. He says, you'd have to leave the world to avoid people like that, right? <laughs> Paul is so funny. <laughs> this is huge, you guys. This is huge. We are not supposed to judge non-believers, those outside the church. They did not agree to the same standards that we have agreed to. Therefore, Paul's saying we have no business in judging them. So who are we supposed to judge? Verse 11, here you go. I meant, now fasten your seatbelts, this is good, that you are not to associate with or hang out with or keep company with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. That's crazy, right? So for 2,000 years, we got this sucker backwards? Is that what you're telling me? Because the church, we spend more time judging people outside the church than we spend any time judging people inside the church. What we do is they're our brother and our sister and we'll love you and we point fingers outside the church and say, you should be more like this and you should do that. Paul's saying you got no business doing that. He's saying we are only permitted to judge Christians. That's what he's saying. You are only permitted to judge Christians. And what is beautiful about this is it clarifies Jesus' behavior. Because in Jesus' behavior that was so confusing, catch this, he publicly judged the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He said, you brood of vipers. And he publicly judged them because they were inside the church. They were a part of the church. That's who they were. They were still in sin, but he judged those inside the church. And what did he do to Matthew outside the church who didn't know Jesus? He walks up, he puts his arm around him, and he says, hey, let's be brothers. Why don't you write a book of the Bible for me? Write everything down that I say, okay? 
It's very interesting. And, and these guys are both guilty of the same thing. Paul continues in verse 12. He said, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, those who do not agree to the same rules like we talked about, but it certainly is your, or actually our responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And that word responsibility is pretty big, right? Paul's saying, you are responsible for this. And you might be thinking, well, what about the non-Christians? Here's what, who's gonna judge them? Here's what Paul says. He says, God will judge those outside, on the outside. So pop quiz, who are we to judge? Christians, right? Who will judge those outside the church? Okay, so when we judge people outside the church, who are we acting like? We're acting like God. That's not good. That's not good at all. We are called to judge, but we need to be careful in who we are judging, right? And if you're a person that is, doesn't come to the church normally, maybe you're just checking it out and you're here today. First off, I want to say welcome. Glad you're here. So glad you're here. But you got to be loving this. You're like, go get him, preacher. Slam him down. That's right. I've come to church a handful of times, and each time I feel judged. You just tell them where it is. I like you, right? You go get them. But if that's you, and you haven't stepped foot in a church because you felt judged on behalf of the church, not just Arbor, on behalf of the church as a whole, I want to say, I am sorry. I apologize that we have judged you when we had no right to do so. That we treated you unkindly and you felt like we didn't care because of what we had to say. That we placed expectations and things on you that were never that you agreed to. You didn't agree to this in the slightest. And so you haven't stepped back foot into a church for a long time. If that's you, I so apologize. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have done that. I am guilty of this. So many of us in this room are guilty of this. There's only one judge, right? There's only one person who can hold this instrument of power. And he sits on what is called in the Bible the judgment seat. And his name is Jesus. And he does cast judgment. In fact, the Bible talks about the fact that he is the only righteous judge. He's the only one that can judge. And he has judged all the nations and he has judged us. And he is judging us. But here's what's crazy about our judge. Here's what's crazy about Jesus. He sentenced us, put the hammer down, Head came down, we felt the weight of it. We are all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Boom, there it is. And then what he did is he set the gavel down. He took off his robe. He walked over to us, gave us a hug, and then walked into jail on our behalf. Said, you don't have to go. I'm going. I'll take the sentence. And then he was crucified. He was murdered. He was executed because that was the sentence of judgments that we received. By who? By him. And he went and paid that price. He did. That's the price that we, that's the good news that we always talk about as Christians. And because of that, he says, come along. I've paid the price. And because I was the perfect sacrifice, I'm going to live forever. And I want you to live forever with me. Now that the judgment has been taken care of, I've taken care of it. I've paid that price. That's the beauty of Jesus. That is the gospel. And if you don't know him, I pray that you would get to know him because he's a good judge. He is a fair judge 
and he is a kind judge because he took our place. It's called substitutionary atonement is what the biblical theological word is for. He took himself and became our substitute on our behalf. It's amazing. So quick review. Why do we judge? The answer to that is sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. It really is. Number two, who do we judge? We only judge our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Last question, how do we judge? And maybe the most important. Number one, Jesus dealt with this already. He said, deal with your own stuff first. Deal with your own stuff first. Some of you have been in here and you're like, you might in your head be making a list and maybe you even started to write it on your phone. Jake just said we can judge. So here we go. I got a lot of people I got to talk to inside the church. A lot of people. If that's what you're thinking, you're missing the whole point. You truly are. You're missing the point. You're thinking, I'm going to run out and I'm going to judge and I got, I, got, I got this job to do now. I feel empowered to go. No, don't do that. In fact, no joke. I gave this talk a little while ago on judging and I'm not, ex- I'm not ex- exaggerating. I literally walked off the stage, walked back into the green room and some guy, I have no idea who he was, followed me in there and then let me have it as a pastor. In the green room, I'm like, help, somebody, I'm the only one in here with this guy, he might have a gun, you know, I don't know what's going on. And he was, he was literally going after me for one tiny little thing that I said in there. I said, this is crazy, I remember what I said. I said, this, this guy named Jesus, we're crazy about this guy. He's like, you should not refer to Jesus as a guy. He is a God, you know, I agree, <laughs> you know. But he went into me on that day. So literally what I'm saying is don't run out. This is not the point, right? This is not the point to run out and to judge, 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 judge. The Bible says deal with your own stuff first. Take the plank out of your eye. This is that plank thing. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, right? You don't have to have everything figured out completely because there's no way we're going to have that. We're all in process of sanctification. But we do need to be dealing with our own stuff before we think we can walk up to someone and talk to them about theirs. We gotta be in process on that. Number two, how do we judge? We judge as we want to be judged. Jesus said this too, it's the golden rule of judging. Judge unto others as you would have them judge unto you. How would I like to be judged? Lightly, very lightly. I would love to be judged lightly. I would hope, my hope is, that when someone is judging me that they'd give me the benefit of the doubt. And so because of that, I need to give people the benefit of the doubt when I judge. Number three, probably the most important, is that we should judge with love. How do we judge? We judge with love. If you're walking up to somebody that you know that is a Christian and they're living in sin and you don't think they know that, they, that you love them, then you need to back it up and get to love them more and more and more. They need to know that they know that they know that you love, 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 love them. And if they don't know that, you may need to find someone else that knows that they love them and have them talk on your behalf because we gotta lead with love. In fact, Paul talks about this again in Ephesians. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in what? Love, in love. Make every effort to keep the unity, that's what he's talking about, unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We've got to love first, you guys. If we're going to judge at all, it's got to be bathed, soaked, dripping in love. And if it's not, we've got to stop and back it up and not do it in the first place.
Another time when I was doing student ministries, one of the jobs that I had was interviewing new leaders to come in that would work with students. And I had a guy come in and his name was Billy and he came in with his girlfriend. Billy sat down, very, very, um, kind of a, a larger than life type of guy. Love this guy. Came in and he sat down and I just met him and we're talking about jumping into student ministry. They wanted to help and serve and, and, and whatnot. And in the midst of this conversation, somehow it came up that these two were living together. And one of the standards that we set back then and we still have now is to live beyond reproach when we are working with someone and their kids. And living with someone according to God's word is not good, right? It's not good. It's not living beyond reproach. That's the standard we set for leadership. Hear me on this. We're not kicking them out of the church, right? But when it comes to the call of leadership, I was like, ah, dude, I don't think we can do that. So in the most loving way that I could possible to hold the standards that we had, I let them know that they could not be leaders, and it didn't go well, okay? I tried to be loving. I sometimes fail at that, okay? I tried really hard to care and to love and, to, and whatnot, and, and I could tell that they were very upset. And because they were very upset, I was very upset. And they left, and they were frustrated at that point in time. And then about, and I, I literally thought about it for like the whole week. I mean, that whole conversation was a real tough one for me. Really tough. And then... They came back. About a week later, they came back and said, guess what? We thought about what you said, and we have separated and moved out. And We're still dating, but now I bought an apartment, and I live here, and I live here. And we've done that, and we want to move forward. And they felt like I judged them the first time I talked to them. And they came back. I was like, whoa, I could not believe that they did this, right? They listened to what we had to say on that there. And my, my intentions in that was not to push them down, not to judgment, to push them down, but to lift them up and to lift the ministry up. And what's crazy is after a month, after kind of waiting and seeing, does this stick? You know, is this just something that they had to say or, or do they really live it out? They really lived it out. Billy became one of the best leaders that I have ever seen in student ministries. There will be people in heaven, students in heaven, because of Billy's influence, because he was a shepherd and a pastor, and he loved Jesus like crazy. And when I mean like crazy, sometimes it weirds me out when I have lunch with Billy still, right? That I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you can love Jesus that much. Is it really possible? It's possible. You got to get to know Billy, right? And he, I judged Billy, right? I tried to do it the best way that I can. I tried to lift him up in the way that I could and he took that judgment and he and, he, and his girlfriend at the time, they took efforts and because of that, heaven and the population of heaven will be different. Sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. It really is. Sometimes it is. But guys, hear me again. It's gotta be bathed in love, dripping in love, covered in love. And if it's not done in that way, we shouldn't do it at all. But Jesus said, thou shall not judge improperly. And there is a proper way to do it. And he's called it, and Paul even says it's our responsibility to do it in love. Let's pray.